Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Did you know that? He does. Um, he doesn't want to just coddle us. He's. Con- I think he's okay with uh, with uh, treating us as our age deserves when we're spiritual babies. He he gives us grace and helps us out and cares for us in those ways and maybe coddles us a little bit at that point. But there's a point at which uh, he desires for us to grow up and to be, to be strong in him and to be mature. And so I want to share something that's kind of been on my heart and I. Uh, I told Kiki after last week's message that I wanted to preach the other side of the coin on that. That Anybody remember what she talked about last week? What was it? Standing. Standing, right? That we're called to take a, take a stand and to be strong in our stance for the things to stand. And one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament where Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're looking to you. And uh, There's a, a longing expectation. And the Lord says, in this case and in some other cases in the Old Testament where he says, all you're going to need to do is take a stand and I'm going to do the delivering for you. And uh, uh, sometimes we give these varied pieces of advice. I don't know if you've thought about this, but sometimes when we're leading people in prayer, uh, we'll tell them to hold on and other times we'll tell them they need to let go. And uh, then uh, we say, press in and, and pray through and uh and run, run with God, and then we tell people, be still. And it sounds like we really don't know what we're talking about. But each of those has their proper place. And I, I would encourage you that uh, wisdom requires that in whatever the situation we find ourselves in, we do the appropriate thing at that moment. Sometimes the appropriate thing is to stand in place and let God bring the victory. Okay, And then there are other times when God says, I'm with you, and I want you to fight. Now, we're not wrestling against people. We're not fighting against people. We're not hating people. We're wrestling against ideas. We're wrestling against spiritual forces. We're, we're taking a stand. You're not going to like this, but I, I said it to myself earlier today already. We fight against ourselves. Do you know that? So uh, this probably, if you wonder at the theme of whatever uh, ministry I have, this is one of the themes we keep hitting on again and again because I think it's so vital to... Christian living. So, as I said, it sometimes uh, sounds like we don't know what we're doing. Last week was such an excellent message on standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord. And we're reminded that it's not in our strivings that we win the victory. It's God's works that gives us success, whether a situation requires that we stand or that a particular situation requires that in trusting God, we fight and we strive to go forward. And so those aren't contradictory elements. Uh, they're two appropriate responses to the same trust in God. And so last week before uh, Kiki preached, I told her uh, that this was something that had been stern on my heart and not to let that slow her down or stop her. We need to take our stand. And then there's a moment in which God calls us to strive. And so you can see these two appropriate responses played out through the Bible. So as we, uh, I hope you've turned to Romans 5. We're going to read that in just a moment. But maybe you remember in one particular situation where God tells Moses as they're out in the wilderness that 
the people began to complain that there wasn't water. We're starting to feel that a little bit, aren't we? We need some, we need some rain. Um, but he, he called upon the Lord, and the Lord told him to, to strike the rock. And then as he struck the rock, what happened? The, the water flowed out of it, right? Okay. So then he comes to a later moment in his ministry as he's led the people somewhere in the region of En Gedi, if I'm not mistaken. And, and God tells him, in this particular scenario, speak to the rock and the water will come out. And what's kind of fascinating about that is that you're dealing with two different kinds of rocks. In the place where they were previously, there's no way water should have come out of that rock. And so Moses striking the rock showed the power of God. But in the next place they were in, there's water that flowed behind the rock. And if he strikes the rock, it's going to look like he did the miracle. And so God tells him to speak to the rock. But what does Moses do? He strikes it anyway, doesn't he? And because of that... (laughs) It seems like not a big deal to us, but because of that, God said, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. In one moment, it's to strike. In another moment, it's to speak to it. You can see kind of a dichotomy there. It's what's appropriate in that particular situation. You see battles in the Old Testament where uh, God said things like march around the city, and we sang about it a little bit uh, today, you know, that was shout and the walls come falling down, right, in the battle of Jericho. They walked around the city, they shouted, the walls came falling down. Of course, they had to go in and conquer the city. But there are moments when God tells his people, I'm going to fight on your behalf and you won't have to do a thing. I can think of at least three different situations in the Old Testament where God said to his people that I will take care of this, you are going to be mere observers. And then there are other times where he tells them, go in and fight, I will be with you. I will be with you. And so it's the appropriate thing to do in that situation to stand up and fight. And then, of course, we know that we're to trust God for salvation. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Do you know that's one of the big uh, lies that any cult comes up with is that we are saving ourselves. We're saving ourselves. And what we find from Scripture is that we cannot save ourselves. It's by grace and not by works. We can't do it, right? Nobody can get there in their own good behavior. It doesn't matter how good we are. We can't, we can't be good enough. We have to give, be given grace in order to be saved. But you know, sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more holy, requires at times for us to strive, to strive in God's power, to do the right thing. We have to learn in his help to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. We have to deny ourselves and say no to certain things. We have to strive to do the right thing when we don't feel like it. And so there are strivings in that. So it's it's salvation as a gift, but there's also a call at times to to go forward and to fight for what we've been given. And so uh, we could uh, be tempted to think that when we, we stand that God is doing it and when we strive that we're doing it. But in both cases, it's God at work. And so, uh, you know, within this, God is calling us to follow him. I was thinking of this verse in Judges chapter 3. And actually, if you go back to uh, chapter 2, although we're not going to turn there, uh, it tells about the children of Israel coming into the land that God had given them. And it says that uh, they left some of the nations in place. And in chapter 3, it says, These are the nations the Lord left 
to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. Verse 4 says, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of Israel who had not yet previously experienced battle. Here's what this tells me is that God allowed there to be some adversity in their lives so that they would toughen up. Are you with me on that? He allowed there to be some adversity so that they would toughen up. And God allows adversity to come into our lives to toughen us up. I thought about it. I decided not to, but I'm just going to mention it. You, anybody remember the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue? Right? Oh boy, that's just not popular in these days, is it? But uh, he got named by a very feminine name. He had to fight his whole life because of that name. And it, he realized at the end of the song, it helped toughen him up. And uh, I, don't, I don't think God is that uh, spiteful. But I do think he allows difficulty to come into our lives at times, if it's only in a permissive way, in order for us to be stronger in him. He wants us to be stronger in him. He wants us to be able in him to do uh, all things. So let's turn to our passage. You're already there, but I'm going to read in chapter 5. This is a great chapter, and going back into chapter 4, you'd find out some more. You find out why there's a therefore at the beginning of verse 1 here, but... Let me summarize this, and that in faith, if you're trusting in Christ, God grants you righteousness. He makes you right with him. Okay? So then it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Will you say stand with me? Stand. So we stand in this grace. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we have two things here. We have our standing and our strengthening. You can see these in different parts of this passage that we just read. We have our standing and our strengthening. And I think that when it comes to uh, our standing, we can see certain things. Let me come back to that in just a moment. But we, we understand that God has granted us standing in him through what Christ has done. And that's a glorious thing. What we often don't like, and we'll, we're going to deal more with this in just a moment, but we don't like our strengthening. We don't always like that spiritually because it means some kind of adversity has come our way or difficulty and we have to respond in the right kind of way. But do you realize that we deal with adversity all the time in life? I don't know. And sometimes you choose it. Sometimes we choose our adversity. Maybe you're getting mad at me a little bit. But uh, you, we choose our adversity. Think about these things. When we, we train against gravity and appetites in order to get fit. You ever thought about that? We train against gravity and our appetites. What are we talking about? We're talking about exercise and dieting. How many have said no to one more cinnamon roll because you want to be a little bit more fit? Right? No. <laughs> Some people are shaking their head. I've never done that. All right. Well, this is a good time to talk about that. Uh, but you, I'm not so concerned about that. But, uh, but also in our, our fitness, if we want to be fit, we, we fight against gravity. We lift weights. We run. We pick our lethargic carcasses up off the couch, and we get going because we, we want to be a little more fit 
in life. And so that we're, we're dealing with an adversity. You realize that everything is moving towards a stall in our world. You realize that? It's moving towards that. That's, uh, uh, what is that? Entropy, right? Everything's moving from, it's moving towards a stall. And uh, that's, that's the case with us. And so if we're going to do something, we have to get up. We have to decide. We have to move muscle. We have to get going. And so there is an adversity in all of that. And then we tackle problems when we study to sharpen our minds. I was thinking about this. Maybe they don't do this anymore. But when, when I was studying math as a kid, they called them problems. You have problem number one and problem number two. Do they still call them that or is that too negative? Anybody know what goes on in schools nowadays? We called them our math problems. Does that sound familiar or was I in a weird school? Okay, so we called them math problems and we had to work through the problem and figure out the answer. Okay, so why do we do that for? We're fighting an adversity of ignorance in order to grow in our thinking. Are you with me? Okay, how about um, at work? If there's no problems, you're not necessary. If everything runs automatically on automation, you're not necessary. But the moment you <laughs> you get to work, you find out you're a problem solver. This shipment didn't get to where it needed to go, and somebody needs to answer for it. Find out where it's at. And so you figure those things out. Or this uh, particular um, thing has gone haywire, and it wasn't supposed to. The board got put in the wrong place, and... There's a wall in the wrong place. You've got to fix that. You've got to find out what's wrong uh, with the plumbing. And, and maybe it's a, a people issue. And all of those things are problems that we have to work through. And we, we're trying to bring some kind of order out of chaos. Do you know that when we play sports, we sometimes do scrimmages? What is a scrimmage? It's to practice against an opponent, isn't it? I always, that was always my favorite part. It was to see if I was better than the other guy. Uh, when we're playing basketball, we would scrimmage somebody else. And what we're doing is we're choosing to train with adversity. It's fun sometimes. Sometimes it's not so fun. But in these things, we're finding that adversity can be a positive thing because it, it helps us to grow. It toughens us up in the right way. We don't want to be tough in the wrong kinds of ways. We don't want to be tough-hearted. We don't want to become cynical because we've faced some kind of adversity. We want to deal with the adversity and become stronger. Romans 5, 1 through 5 shows us that both taking a stand and being strong or strengthening have place in the Christian life. Even after all Jesus has done for us, we still need to toughen up some. Sometimes we're a little soft, and especially as we live in a culture that has made living pretty easy compared with much of the world. So whether... With or without our participation, there is victory in entrusting the Lord. You understand? In salvation, Jesus did all the work. In sanctification, we strive, and he gives us victory. Let's take a look at our standing here. Verses uh, 1 through, I think, about 3. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And that gets us into that next part. But look at these things here that are mentioned. It says, since since we have been justified through faith. 
Now, I don't think this is mainly intended to be chronologically, like chronologically taken. Like since this happened in a chronological way, that happens. But more of a cause and effect kind of thing, uh, and that would suggest chronology. But it's not so much that since that day, but because this particular thing happened, we have certain things that have taken place. So there's five, four direct consequences of uh, having been justified by faith. First is that we have righteousness. I don't know if you thought about this, but we can't be good enough on our own. And this is the main thing that people object to when it comes to the Christian witness, I think, is the first thing is that many people feel like they don't really need a Savior. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And in fact, when Americans have been surveyed about what they know about the gospel, do you know what they think? They think they're going to heaven because they're pretty good. Did you know that? The majority of Americans think they're going to heaven because they're good. And that is contrary to Scripture, 100%. If we're good enough of ourselves, Jesus doesn't need to come die. We're good enough. Well, it says because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. So the first thing it mentions is justified means that he declared us righteous. If you have the uh, New English translation, it says having been declared righteous through faith. What that means is that now because we've trusted God, God grants us his righteousness. And righteousness means that we, we stand before him in right standing. We're not covered in our sin anymore. That's been lifted. We're, we're, we've been made righteous or declared righteous through faith. The second of those outcomes is that not only are we righteous, but we have peace with God. We have peace with God. We're not at war with him anymore because of what he's done. We've, we believed in Christ we no longer stand as enemies opposed to him. And here's one of the other things that many people don't realize is that because of our sin, we've set ourselves against God and we've become his enemy. We've taken his good creation and we've used it for ourselves. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the gospel here. We've made ourselves enemies with God. And what Jesus accomplished for us is he's given us peace, reconciliation, where he's brought relationship back together and he's restored a relationship with God. He can now call him Father. You can now pray because of what Jesus has done. We have peace with God, and I'd like you to notice it says there, this is verse 1 still, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way in to having peace with God. There is no peace with God just by simply wanting it. There's no peace with God through other avenues. It's only through Jesus. Can I affirm to you that that's the only way that we have peace with God? Jesus said it this way, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's an incredibly arrogant thing to say unless he's really the way. Okay? The disciples said, there's no other name under heaven given whereby people can be saved. So he's telling us, they're telling us, his immediate followers are telling us it has to be through Jesus. And your own heart probably confirms that very fact that we have peace with God through Jesus and no other way. Not just by wanting to, not just by feeling good feelings or thinking good thoughts about him, but because of what Christ has done. And then I'd like you to notice a third outcome of, in, in terms of our standing, is that we have access to grace in which we stand. 
This is God's favor. This is his gracious kindness to us. And we, know, we not only just receive it from him, but we stand in it. We stand in his grace. We stand in his help because of Jesus. Okay, that's wonderful. To me, that's wonderful that this is the place of your standing. We don't stand on our own. We don't uh, set ourselves up on our own. We stand in grace because of what Jesus has done. Remember, uh, one of my professors used to say, if you see a turtle on a fence post, it didn't get there on its own. Okay, God's grace causes us to stand in the place that we need to stand. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. Yeah, and then the the fourth thing is that we have hope in glory. We have hope in glory. What this means is that we know all of this is heading towards something good. It's not just life here and now that we're thinking about, but because of what Christ has done, we have hope in glory. That means that someday God is going to share his glory with us in a way that is going to blow our minds. Amen. That's good news. So all of this fighting, all of this striving is not for nothing. All of it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Seldom have five words meant so much. We should come away from this today knowing that it's because of Christ, in association with Christ. It's, it's because of him that we have right relationship with the Father. The idea here of not being put to shame, let's uh, skip on down here. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We're going to come back to that. But at the very end here, it says that these things develop things like uh, perseverance, character, hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. So I'd like you to note that what God is aiming for us, this hope of glory, is that we will not stand in shame in the last day. I was thinking about what this means scripturally. To, to be ashamed means that when you put your hope in something, it doesn't turn out to be empty. And uh, you know that you, when you stand in shame, it's something like a, a kind of shame from uh, not being prepared for the situation. Okay, so your hope and my hope is that when we stand before God, Christ has us covered. All right, that we're not gonna, He's not going to look down on us in shame and we're going to be unprepared. How many, how many have had that dream where you find yourself at work or at school and you've got to put your pants on? Anybody have that? Am I the only one? They're laughing. Are you laughing at me or are you laughing with me because you know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me. Or maybe you felt underdressed at something or unprepared. Like one of my dreams is that I wake up on Sunday morning and I've got, and I forget that it's Sunday I don't have anything to preach. You ever dreamt something like that? Like it's the day that you've been anticipating, you've been stressing about a little bit, and you've dreamed that you showed up and you were unprepared for it. And then we feel embarrassed, ashamed at ourselves. Imagine standing before God unprepared for eternity and the shame of being there without our proper character. Well, it all comes to us through Christ. We're not playing around with useful fiction, as we mentioned. You know what useful fiction is? It's something that's not true, but we believe it because it helps us get through the day. Okay, Christianity is not a useful fiction. In fact, uh, remember several years ago, Jesse Ventura, and if you remember from his wrestling days, he was Jesse the Body Ventura. He became the governor of Minnesota. Do you remember that? 
And uh, at one point, he said, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. And I challenge that because I don't think it's a crutch for the weak. Because I think Christianity makes big demands upon lives that takes great strength to accomplish. You know what I mean? That there, it, It's not just convenient to be a Christian. Sometimes it demands, God demands us to do things we don't want to do. And it, it takes all the strength we have and his help to accomplish it. So this is not a crutch for the weak. This is something that demands strong character to do. And I'm telling you, in an increasingly anti-God culture, that's even more the case. And maybe the culture is not anti-God in their thinking. Like, they don't think we don't like God, but in their doing, they become more and more anti-God. So you're going to have to, we are going to have to, as Christians, toughen up. Unless something major reverses in our world, it's going to be harder to follow Christ. So we're not believing in a useful fiction. We're not dabblers in mystic spirituality. In Christ, there's real substance. So many uh, Americans claim to be spiritual but not religious. And what that usually means is that they sometimes have feelings of otherworldliness. But these spiritualities are detached from anything of substance like like having castles in the sky. It It might be a nice feeling. It might be wonderful to think about, but it's not real. What we have is promised to us in blood. This is why we take uh, communion. We're remembering the, the promise that was written in blood that was given to us. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. You know what covenant is, right? It's a promise. This is the blood of the covenant. This is the promise given in blood. And so he's given us his promise in blood. He's ratified it in history. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And in that, the Apostles' Creed helps us remember that it happened in real time because of a person. We had no access to God on our own, no peace, no standing, no hope, no grace. But because of Christ, we do have standing. Aren't you glad we're done with our first point here? Second point, our strengthening. Our strengthening. Notice uh, it says here, not only do we rejoice in the idea the hope that we have of glory. There's something future for us. There's something glorious for us, something that will outshine all of our good days here on earth. Not only do we have that, but we also glory in our sufferings. Here's the weird thing about this word for glory. It means something like to boast. We boast about our sufferings. Not like my sufferings are worse than your sufferings. Not like that. That doesn't sound like God at all, does it? Uh, what he's saying is that we're rejoicing in the fact or we're boasting the fact that these sufferings that are so difficult for us in the moment are producing something in us. They're, they're doing something for us. They're toughening us. They're toughening us up is what they're doing. And so it produces something in us. And he mentions what those things are. Let's, let's just take a look here. Verse 3, we also glory in our sufferings because we know, we know this is, to have a firm conviction here and here. Um, we know that uh, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So these things are being produced in us as we go through things. Not, not suffering of any kind, but when we deal with our suffering, our difficulties in a hard way. I don't, I don't think Paul specifies like, 
what kind of sufferings. He uses the word uh, in Greek, I think it's the word thlebo, and it means the pressing. It's like the sled with the spikes on it they run over grapes with. Anybody feel like that describes a day you've had recently? (laughs) Run over by a sled with spikes on the bottom? That's what he's talking about. That this is these are the sufferings that he's talking about. They're not pleasant. They're not the the typical like you just had a little bit of a bad day, like first world problems or anything like that. This is talking about the real the real deal, the real stuff. And he says that it produces perseverance. And produce means to cause a state to be. Okay, so these things, these sufferings cause a state in our life to be. What's that state? Perseverance. Perseverance has as a root to it uh, permanence. Okay, I know that's not here, but in the Greek, it's it's permanence. It's to have permanence. It's to have permanence despite difficulty. Nothing's going to move us. We're going to keep doing this because this is what God's called us to do. We're fixed here. We're going to do this thing even if it's not fun, even though the emotion's not behind it today. Emotions behind it some other day, but maybe not today. We're going to do it. And if it's up to us and with God's help, we're going to keep doing it. And when, when you keep doing that, you develop a, a sense of permanence. Our sufferings can do that. It can help us to know we can push ourselves a little harder. Anybody ever lifted weights here? Anybody? Go ahead. Okay, just let's just imagine we all have, all right? And I used to, but that waved bye-bye long ago. But one thing I found is that when you do it, you can usually start out and you're kind of weak. I don't know if I can do this. Even if you take a few days off. And I know I'm in some people's wheelhouse here today, not mine. But uh, And then after a while, you find as you get you do it, you get stronger and stronger. Doesn't that make sense? Lift weights, you get a little bit stronger. And you can do more. And the first time you do it, it hurts. Okay, so... I ran cross country when I was in middle school, and uh, the first year, I told you a little bit about that. The second year, my coach made me do wind sprints the first day, uphill, and I did those, and I hadn't done anything all summer except play around and get, lay on the couch and stuff, and I was torn up. My muscles felt raggedy, and I think I was 13 years old, and I felt like a grandpa. Can you relate to that? Grandpas, can you relate to that? The opposite's usually not true. Grandpas don't usually feel like 13-year-olds. But anyway, um, I was sore. And I remember as we ran a little bit more, uh, you get in better shape and you get stronger. And that suffering, you're tearing your muscles down. Do you know that? You lift weights when you run, you're tearing your muscles down. And when they build back, they build back stronger. Are you with me on that? It makes sense that something physical like that would also happen spiritually. As we train, as we go through a kind of suffering, we get stronger and stronger. We develop a kind of perseverance. We used to, Things that used to kind of knock us off our saddle, they don't do that anymore because we're ready for it. We're stronger now. That's not going to get us this time because we've developed muscles in those areas. We can hold on better. We're we're stronger. And then, of course, perseverance, character. You can't have character without perseverance. You need to keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though it's not easy. There's where character comes. 
Are you with me? You do it when it's easy. You do it when it's not easy. If you're a parent, you've probably found that there's a challenge to character that comes along with that. Like, are you going to be a pushover or are you going to stand up and do the right thing even when you're really tired and you don't want to? And you're going to show your child that your will is stronger than their will and you're going to train them to be a good, upstanding citizen and a Christian. So this is what these these things produce. And then, of course, uh, character, hope. And hope is the the aim, the goal here. We're looking for the glory of God. Notice uh, we know that suffering produ- produces these things. Um, verse 3, not only so, we, we also glory in our sufferings. We know that these things produce sufferings. Uh, often involves direct difficulty. And it, I would like uh, uh, you to know today that sufferings here is in the plural. It suggests not just one kind of difficulty, but many kinds of difficulty. And I don't think we naturally like this, but this is what God has called us to, is a difficulty-laden, strengthened life. And I don't mean it's always like this, but I mean that when these things come, it, it, depending on our response to it, we can either grow from it or we can be uh, minimized by it. Both Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, and John all have something to say about sufferings. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you who uh, when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject you, uh, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that's how your ancestors treated the prophets. So Jesus said that we're going to have difficulty and that the proper response to it ought to be to rejoice in it. John says, and he's quoting the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. He recalls these words through the help of the Holy Spirit. I've told you these things so that you may, you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And he sends Jesus' words uh, to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and tells them to remain faithful through hardship. Peter says, praise be to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, listen, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And James, of course, says probably the most famous one to us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's saying that what these sufferings can do is produce within us perseverance, and in that we'll grow to the character God wants for us to be. I think we often think of the Christian life like this, that we get saved and Jesus has forgiven us for our sins, and that's wonderful, and then we're just kind of waiting till heaven, okay? 
but I've come to understand that what God is doing in the meantime is he's perfecting our character and he's making us into people who are fit for heaven. Do you understand what that means? That heaven has a certain kind of culture about it. And we need to be ready to fit into that culture. And we're not going to do that when we're strapped with all this, uh, this worldly excess and these ways of thinking and these sinful tendencies. We have to, one by one, slough those off and become more and more like him. Be holy, he says, for I am holy. This is God's call. He wants us to be like him. Heaven will not be heaven if we drag all of our baggage up there with us. Are you with me? So some point, we've got to learn to put that aside and become mature in him. Now, some of us are going to die before we get completely finished. All of us, right? So what that means is that he's going to gift us with those shortcomings and those areas of shortcoming, but he expects us until that time to become blameless and pure in him. That means we've got work to do. We've got to toughen up. We've got to be stronger. We've got to be people of character. So I, I want to challenge us with this because I think in some ways um, in our country, we've, we've had it pretty easy. You see, in, in these things, uh, each one of them recognizes reality. We just mentioned Jesus, John, Peter, James, and of course we've been reading from Paul. They recognize reality to suffering. It's not healthy for us as Christians to just say, well, we're blessed in God and we as Christians never have suffering. Don't be deluded. This is the Bible. Okay? We will have difficulty in this life. Okay? And that doesn't mean you're out of favor with God. In fact, it may mean the very opposite, that because he wants you to be a certain kind of person, he may allow difficulty to come into your life. You know, he's not a helicopter parent that wards off every difficult thing that comes into our life. No, he lets us go through some stuff. He challenges us to go through some stuff. I think sometimes he puts things in our path so he can perfect our character. Not temptations, but trials. He's, it's not hateful either. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, I think about this a lot, but when I was a kid, a lot of times uh, I was kind of spoiled, spoiled brat. That kind of went with me a little bit. And it wasn't, it wasn't the direct fault of my parents. I was born into a fallen world. And the Bible says wickedness is bound up in the heart of a child. Did you know that? So it's discipline that brings out the beauty. So uh, I was kind of spoiled, and we'd go to Kmart or we had a store called TGNY. I don't know if anybody knows anything about TGNY, but it didn't have as many toys, so it wasn't quite as fun. But we'd go to those stores, and I would cry and say, I want that. And my mom would say, you've got enough toys, which I did. I'm not getting that for you today. And so I'd throw a fit. Anybody do that? So she would say to me, I've, I've heard enough. And then she said this phrase, which I know a lot of you have heard. If you keep it up, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Anybody hear that? And, of course, uh, I wanted to see if that was true. <laughs> so a lot of times it went on, and, boy, was I sorry. But what I found in time was that at some point you got to quit blubbering, 
toughen up a little bit and realize you can't always get what you want, like Mick Jagger said, and uh, realize that life is just not that way. And so uh, I learned how to put aside that that fit throwing and become, I, I hope, a little more mature. But in doing so, we realize the reality. There's a reality in, in life of suffering. Jesus points it out. James, John, Peter, they all point it out. But then I'd like you to notice that each of them kind of focused on a goal. Paul did. He talks about the glory. We hope in the glory. Uh, Jesus says things like, um, you'll have trouble in the world, but I've overcome the world. He talks about rejoicing uh, because you have a great reward in heaven, even though you're facing suffering now. Uh, Peter says, rejoice in the fact that you know that this is going to strengthen your character because there's a day when Jesus Christ will be revealed. That's talking about his second coming. And then James says that it's going to produce something of substance and you'll be mature. And so each of them focuses upon a goal. Like if you're working out, nobody works out without a goal. you got a goal. You want to look better. You want to fit the clothes that you have. You want to be a little more fit and not you know, be huffing and puffing when you're walking up the stairs. So you you have a certain goal, and that's why you do it. Okay? And this is why we endure through our difficulty, not because it's fun, not because we're masochists and we love to inflict pain upon ourselves, but we go through these things because the goal is a place of maturity. I really think the ease with which we live in this country has made a lot of Christians soft. There are Christians around the world that face hardships. It's been seven years now, but maybe you remember 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded on a beach in Libya. Do you remember that? And that kind of baffles me. I just think, you know, what are our problems? We're figuring out, trying to decide where we want to go on vacation and, you know, what to do at the yard, what house we want to live in and what job to take, and we got all this smorgasbord of choices, and there's Christians out there that are living for Jesus in the face of death. And that should challenge us. And what's interesting about the Christians in um, Egypt is there's a group there known as the Coptics. Their language goes back, it's a near kin to Greek, but it goes back for 2,000 years, and since the advent of Islam in about the, the mid-600s, that region of Egypt has undergone wave after wave of persecution for over 1,500 years. And there's still a vibrant Christian community there. That's what amazes me. Like, there's many places where Christianity didn't hold up. Maybe they, maybe they killed all the Christians who are faithful, I don't know, but... For one reason or another, this group has held up in the face of continued persecution. And after uh, this happened with these 21 Egyptian Christians, um, an archbishop, Angelos, he said, the interesting thing is we live, we live it with a sense of resilience. We've never fallen into a state of victimhood or triumphalism, he said. We realize that it's the cross of Christ. It's not the end of the road because there is a resurrection that comes after the cross and the empty tomb. And so it is in that hope that we 
continue to live, and it's in that hope that we continue to carry that cross, knowing it will be removed from us in time. It's true that God at times allows or permits a measure of difficulty, persecution, and sometimes people give their lives, they lay down their lives for the sake of Christ. And there's one particular part of the letter to Revelation where Jesus is encouraging the church and he says, be faithful. You've been faithful even in the face of losing that faithful martyr Antipas. Continue to be faithful. And as, as we talked about a few moments ago in Judges, God didn't remove the inhabitants of the land. And he did that so the people might toughen up and learn war. And what that meant is that though he promised them the land, they still had to take up arms and to fight. Still had to take up arms and fight. Let me mention quickly three areas where we're going to fight, and then I'm going to be done. Okay, Number one uh, is the area of culture. We're going to fight a battle in terms of our culture. One of our missionaries has said that the biggest challenge to the gospel in his setting is culture, that he finds that to be the biggest challenge. There's an almost overwhelming visible presence that fights against faith, and culture tends to assert its authority concerning right and wrong. I know probably uh, you've seen this, but in the last month, it was Pride Month, and uh, of course, we understand that if we're going to be scriptural Christians, that we we call certain behaviors wrong. We're not hating people. We don't dislike people. We love people. We're calling this ideology wrong because I think it robs people of God's best for them. You know what I'm talking about? And it troubles me a little bit that it seems more and more the culture has like gained momentum in terms of this tide. Have you seen that? Any channel you turn to on TV had the rainbow flag up. And what happens is the church gets labeled as hateful because it calls a behavior wrong. You're not accepting a person. No, we love the people. God loves them. He made them in, their, in his image. We love them. But we believe that this is a particular cultural lie that has gained this massive momentum. And this only illustrates the fact that there is so much pressure today that the tide has washed over many and taken it with them. Many in the church believing that, well, it's okay. But what we've done is we believe culture and we've not believed God. Our ideals, our principles come from God. They don't come from majority. Are you with me? And if he said that a behavior is wrong, it's because it's somehow detrimental. And so I want to just challenge us, not just with that particular issue. That's kind of a hot-button topic, but... We've moved past a lot of that, and the whole point is that there is a cultural sweep that has taken place, and we battle against culture. And to me, it's such an interesting thing because it's not even really the big issue. It's not really the main issue. Like, we're not running around concerned. Why does everybody have to have pride and talk about what their particular orientation is? When did that become everybody else's business? But somehow it got pushed out into the public, and we want to say this is what it's about. And the interesting thing is, for us, it's not even really about that. It's about, are we willing to surrender to God and go His way? That's really the issue. And so, it's interesting how Satan has brought a side issue into the forefront and is tripping many people up. 
And that's sad to me, but it's evidence of how culture can be an enemy of the cross. And I want to reiterate, neither God nor Christians hate people. We love people. But what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to redeem people from a wicked and perverse generation, a culture that has run contrary to him. And so if you're going to be in the fight, you're going to have to toughen up. We're going to have to fight against some cultural norms and say, even though everybody else says this is right, we believe it's wrong. Not even because we have a personal agenda. We stand this way because God has said a certain thing about it. There's a battle against the devil. Okay, there's, there's a malevolent force of evil at work within the world. He's personal and he's hateful. His schemes are intelligent and proven. And really, if we're honest, we're no match for him on our own. He can't force us to do anything against our will. I firmly believe that. But he tricks us and he takes us captive through deception. He comes presenting what we want already. And we have to be strong and wise to resist him. And we aren't alone in the battle. Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, that we're to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. If you're going to fight the battle and win the battle, it's not going to be because you're strong by yourself. It's going to be because God comes along beside you and gives you the victory. God's strength is the key. Um, Sometimes, maybe you can imagine a kid uh, picking up a box and they want to lift it on their own, but it's obviously too heavy for them, so you help them out. And they're like, man, look how strong I am. Yeah, you're strong, but you're the one carrying most of the weight. And that's that's how it is when we fight our battles is that God helps us along and he gives us strength to do the work. Then there's a battle against ourselves. Don't we all have this uh, internal dialogue that goes on? Anybody talk to themselves besides me? Go ahead and you're willing to admit it. I talk to myself. Luke, get it together. Stuff like that. Luke, we're going to do this. No, Luke, we're not going to have another cinnamon roll. Uh, I, I usually don't say that one, but come on, Luke, you have to preach this morning, things like that. Um, this is the kind of self-mastery the Bible calls us to. And as a matter of fact, the Bible calls us to self-denial and death to self and putting off the old self and considering others better than ourselves, etc., But that's so different from what our culture says. Again, it goes back to that a little bit because we have cultural reinforcement in this battle uh, against self. Uh, It says, our culture says, be yourself, express yourself, look out for yourself. And these are the maxims of the world. And I recently um, was watching television. I came across some, some of this stuff being said. It made me feel sick because we live in this self indulgent philosophy of a therapeutic age. And I don't think Scripture calls us to self-hatred. There's just recognition that we often want to get our own way. Jesus said, if anyone wants to save themselves, they must lose themselves. And this isn't intuitive, and so it's not popular. But it's not hidden either. It's been the plain teaching of Scripture for two millennia, and the strongest and the best of many cultures have found themselves by setting aside themselves for Jesus. If you want to be your best self, you're going to be your best self in Jesus because it's only in him that you'll find who you truly are. I guarantee you that. 
Challenge, challenge God on that. I guarantee you, you will find your best self in him. Because he knows who you really are. He knows who you're made to be. Somebody said recently, C.S. Lewis never wrote any significant works till he came to know Jesus. And I, w- I would challenge you to find a more diverse author. He wrote philosophy. He wrote on Renaissance literature, which was his specialty at Cambridge and Oxford. He wrote children's books. He wrote poetry. He wrote letters. He wrote apologetics. All of that came after coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've got a battle that we're fighting, and I I don't want to labor that too much anymore, but Paul here says that you have a standing in Jesus. He's given you standing. He's granted you that. You didn't have to fight for it. All you had to do was receive it as a gift. You're standing in Jesus, peace with God, righteousness in God, right? We have grace in which we stand. We have hope, hope of glory. That's your standing. But then there's a strengthening that happens through the difficulties that we face in life. How are we going to respond to them? We're going to cower over. We're going to melt like a little snowflake. What are we going to do when the diversity or the adversity comes? Because I'm telling you, unless things change, unless there's revival, the church is going to face difficulty in the coming age. We act like in this culture that we're tolerant of everyone, but we're not tolerant of the church. We're not tolerant of Christianity. And I, I, I want us to be strong so we can stand. Jesus is looking for those who will stand and be faithful. How would you respond to that? Why don't we stand? Thanks for your gracious attention. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.